Good morning. Yeah, well done. Well, my name is Brandon. I'm the pastor of preaching here at Sojourn Heights. And as, uh, as Drew said, we're in a series on John. We've been looking at the life of Jesus. Uh, the last couple of weeks, we, we saw Jesus engaging in, uh, in conversation with some religious men and, and really uh, challenging them on how they saw the world, how they saw God. And, and just to clarify, uh, by religious men, I, I mean people who believe that they, that they earn their way to God that you earn your acceptance before God. And so today, um, we're, we're going to watch Jesus do more of the same. And so let's get started. Uh, there are some things in, in all of us, in all of our childhoods, that really shape who we are and how we live as an adult. And so, for example, uh, I, uh, I, I tend to hug people. Uh, and I do it often, and I do it a lot. And sometimes it gets uncomfortable, and sometimes you don't like it. And I understand that. I get that. Sometimes... Uh, I want it to be uncomfortable. I enjoy that a little bit. I don't know that I should, but I do. And a few weeks ago, uh, I'm at a church deal, church event. My wife was in the room. Uh, there was this girl uh, who I thought we had met. Apparently, we had never met. Uh, <laughs> no, you know where this is going. So I lean in, hey, and she leans out, hey, and uh, looks at me and says, uh, we've, we've never met. Uh, and so I said, okay, let me tell you who I am. This is what I do. I'm sorry uh, about that. But it goes farther. Uh, it goes on. And so there, it also moves on to things about our lives that shape um, how, we, uh, how we see God, right? So all of us had rules in our home. Some of us had more than others, but all of us had some form of rules inside the home that we grew up in. Uh, and, and I would ask you this question. Did you find more acceptance in obedience or freedom in disobedience? Did you find more acceptance in obedience or freedom in disobedience? Now, the, the reality is it's probably a little bit of both, uh, but I would say whichever one is most dominant in you is probably shapes how you see God as an adult today, right? Uh, these are parts of our childhood, who we are, the culture that we grew up in that shape us as an adult, and here's what we're going to see. This is what's going to happen today. We're going to eavesdrop on a conversation that Jesus is going to have, uh, where he's going to be saying to some men, uh, hey, listen, I know what you've been taught from childhood on. Like, I, I know what you've been taught. I know that you've been taught. Here's, here's how God works. Um, God accepts the people who obey the rules uh, and rejects the people who don't. And I know that I don't fit your paradigm. I know that I don't fit your paradigm. But, but I don't fit it because you have a fundamental misunderstanding of God, which has led to a fundamental misunderstanding of me. And so I'm, I'm going to, again, redefine myself for you. And I'm going to do it in the form of a story. And so let's... Uh, jump in. Verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own. He calls his own sheep by name, and leads them out. When he has brought them all out, or brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. The stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Okay, uh, let's do some how to read the Bible kind of 101 real fast. When, when you're reading a story like this, when you come across a figure of speech, if you will, the way the scriptures describe it, 
Uh, don't get bogged down in the details. I mean, we, don't, we don't get too bogged down in the details. The idea is to find what's the, what's the main idea of the story and then take that main idea and put it in the context in which the story is told. Does that make sense? We all together, all on the same page? Win-win. So here's the main idea of the story. So what's the big idea that he's after? Here it is. You ready? It's complex, so follow me. Sheep need a shepherd. Sheep need a shepherd, not a stranger. They need someone who uses the door they're supposed to that signals safety, care, protection, not someone uh, who's there to steal, rob, kill, do what thieves do. Sheep need a shepherd. Now, let's take that main idea and put it in the context of, uh, of the story, put the story in its context. Uh, in chapter 9, uh, Jesus heals a blind man. He heals a blind man, and these religious people are pretty furious about it. Uh, he, he gives sight to a blind man. Uh, and these people are furious about it because he did it on the Sabbath. Because he did it on this day when you're not supposed to, in their eyes. You're not supposed to heal. You don't do anything. You don't work. You don't, don't do works for God. You're supposed to rest at this day. And because Jesus healed a blind man on the Sabbath, they get furious. And so Jesus is saying to them, hey, listen, you've, you've taken this Old Testament law. You, you've taken this, this Old Testament Bible, if you will. Old Testament is part of the Bible that leads up to Jesus. New Testament is the life of Jesus and on. You've taken this Old Testament law and you have, you have made it into something it was never meant to be. You've made it into a rules-based religion where you earn your acceptance. Never what it was intended to be. And so when we take the point of the story, put it in its context, here's, um, here's what we see. Here's what we have. This is what I think Jesus is trying to get at that they don't get. It's what he's trying to get at saying if you have a rules-based system, if you have rules-based religion where you earn your acceptance to God, it feels safe. It feels secure. Why? Well, I'm, I'm now the master of my own destiny. I am the captain of my own ship. I don't know why I said that one. Uh, but I am I'm the man in charge of my life. I get to determine my future. Right? How good I am, how bad I am, I get to dictate what my end game is. It feels safe, but it's actually a thief that's there to steal and kill and destroy you. I'm jumping ahead in the passage, but it's a thief. It's there to rob you of life. It's not there to give you life. It's there to rob you and to take from you. You see, what it's saying is that thing that you thought would bring you near God, right, my morality, my effort, my you name it, the thing I thought earned my way into God's presence actually creates distance from God. Let me illustrate let me illustrate this. This will, before I get into an illustration on this one, let me, let me say, some of you are going to find this illustration way too close to home. Some of you are, are going to find this illustration way too close to home. And uh, if that's you, uh, and, and stay with me after the illustration. But for some of us, uh, it will be too close to home, and we'd love to walk with you, talk with you afterwards. Imagine with me, imagine with me, uh, that you grew up in a home with a father that you could simply never please. I mean, you give it your best, that you would do everything you think he wanted, and it was simply never good enough. It was never enough. Do you think that would enhance the relationship or damage the relationship? Damage, of course. And I'm I'm praying and I'm pleading and I am, as a dad of three now, I, I know that I'm creating father wounds in my children. I just don't know what they are yet. They'll find out later on down the line. Their counsel, counselor will know what they are. 
But if that, if that was too close to home for you, I, I want you to hear what I say to my kids day in and day out, almost every day, almost where it's too much and they're uncomfortable and they're like, Dad, please stop. But I want you to hear this from the Father to you, the Father. If I could just, I'm pausing the sermon, by the way. I don't care. Every day I try to look at my kids and say, hey, you know why Daddy loves you? Because I do. Do you know why, though? Because I do. But, I get, but do you know why? Because I do. And the Father, because of what Christ has done, is looking at you saying, listen, I, I know about your childhood, and I know about the distance, and I know that you, you felt like you could never please your dad. And I love you because I love you because I love you. And you can stop trying to please me. Christ already has. I love you because I love you because I love you. You see what happens if you buy into a rules-based religion, a rules-based acceptance for God, you wind up living as an adult like a child who can never live up to daddy's expectations. And Jesus is saying no more, but it doesn't fit the paradigm. And so Jesus explains the story. Verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Now, remember who he's talking to. He's talking to uh, Jews who have known the Old Testament. And when he said, all those who came before me, this would have likely flagged one of several passages, one of several stories from their history. One of them is this, out of Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel's an Old Testament prophet uh, where he's speaking to the people of God, and he's basically going to call the shepherds thieves. Listen to this. Son of man. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? They would have heard Jesus say, those who came before me and would have said, wait a minute, is he hinting at, at this, at us? Is he saying we're like them? Is this what he's getting at? And the answer is, Kind of. Kind of. He, he's certainly pointing you in that direction. And at a minimum, he's showing you the end game of where your rules-based religion leads you, where you're simply out for yourself. You don't care about those around you. He's showing the end game at least at a minimum. And now he's going to get explicit with it. Verse 9. I am the door. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is, this is Jesus declaring, I am the door to the good life. Remember last week, if you weren't here last week, we, uh, we talked about there's several Greek words, not only these two uh, for life. So in English, uh, we have one word for life. Anyone want to guess what it is? There we go. Well done. Uh, life. That's our word. It's all we've got. Uh, Greek's got several words. One of them is bios, right? It means the became biology, physical existence, right? And then one of them is zoe. Um, it means the good life, abundant life, which a side note, you don't need to know Greek to know what the word zoe means. All you got to do is go eat at Zoe's restaurant. It's written all over the wall. True story. This is Jesus saying, I am the door to the good life. I'm the door to the abundant life. Not I came to give physical existence. It's I came to give you the life you've been longing for and searching for. I came to give the good life. But here's what happens. Here's what happens because the default mode of the human heart is to try to earn it. Right? I can't live with grace. I've got to earn it. 
I'm better than grace. I don't need a handout. I've got to earn it. I'm a Texan, man. I pull myself up by the bootstraps. Here's what happens. We turn to religion for acceptance. So religion becomes the door that we open. Jesus is declaring, I'm the door. And we say, no, I'm going to earn it. So we open up the door to religion and we try to walk through. And here's the thing. Eventually, it feels good for a little while. Right? I'm, I'm earning it. I'm doing it. I'm on top of it. It feels good. And eventually, it lets us down. And when it lets us down, we've got to open up another door. And so, in Houston, that door might be titled Ambition. Right, religion's not enough. It's not working. I need, a, I need success. Success, that's the good life. So I open the door, titled ambition. Why do I keep opening door after door? Because I instinctively, deep down in my soul, I know there is a good life out there, and I want it, dadgummit. I mean, I'm going to find the good life. I'm going to earn the, I'm going to get that. So we open up the door, titled ambition, thinking on the other side of that door is the good life. And instead, a thief walks through. And that thief's name might be loneliness. Right? Because you give yourself to ambition. You're not going to be friends in the workplace because no one wants the cutthroat person around them. You're not going to have friends outside of it because you don't have time for them. Family? Kidding me? We open the door titled ambition thinking that's the good life because success is where acceptance is found and loneliness comes walking through there to rob kill destroy thief in the night and here's the reality all of us have doors that we're trying to open every one of us you do i do uh, there's no one uh, in this room that's not trying to open a door the question's not what it's only or not if it's only what what is that door that I'm trying to open. And here's the danger. Here's the danger. If you're a Christian in this room, let me tell you the danger that you live with. The danger is that often, often, we don't try to open the door ourselves. Often we ask Jesus to open the door for us. Often we say, this is the door to the good life. Jesus, give it to me. You see, if you want to know if you want to know what door you're knocking on, what door you're trying to walk through thinking on the other side of that door is the good life, let me tell you where to look. Look to what you pray for. And let me tell you where this is coming from, this little prayer illustration. This is coming out of my own life. I can look back over the last six months and I, and I can see... Um, a myriad of things that I've prayed for. And there's one thing that, I, that has been a common thread throughout all of it. And if we were, me and you, if we were sitting in, in my office, I don't have an office. We have a shared office. The introverts don't like it. I don't care. We have a shared office right over there. they they like, I need my space. I'm like, I need my company. And so we're going to work together in one room. That's nothing to the sermon. If we were in my office or that office over there and you were saying to me, hey man, listen, here's the deal. I can look at my life and I, I can see, I see my prayer life. I see this, I see that, I see all these things. But there is this one thing that's been woven throughout it. If your thing was my thing, I would say to you, hey man, that thing's making promises it won't keep. It's making promises it won't keep. Like that, That's not the good life. 
Like, that's not what you're after. Don't, don't get so worked up over that one thing. Don't, don't let anxiety grip you over that one thing. Don't spend so much time looking and thinking about that one thing. It's making promises it can't keep. That's what I would say to you. And I'm saying it to myself. Which is why, which is why we all need verse 11. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. He is, who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Now, we've already seen together that shepherd, uh, when Jesus uses this, says, I am a shepherd. This is not in a vacuum, right? It didn't come out of a vacuum. It's woven throughout the Old Testament. He's drawing on something out of the Old Testament. So what I want to do is I want to give you a paradigm example for how shepherd and sheep are using throughout the Old Testament. Because here's what I want you to see. I want you to see that throughout the Old Testament when this theme, shepherd, is invoked. It's when the nation of Israel, when their hearts are drifting, when they're vulnerable. It's not in the good times, it's in the wayward times. Let me prove it to you. Psalm 78, 32. This is um, at a time when it's talking about a time when Israel was wandering in the wilderness and God provided for them in ways they never could have imagined. And it says, in spite of all this, they still sinned. Despite his wonders, they did not believe. In spite of all that God had done for them, they still sinned, did not believe. They were still a disobedient people. Now, how did God respond? I'll tell you how I would have responded. Right? If it were my kids, my six-year-old, four-year-old, 20-month-old, if it were me, time out. Go for the 20-month-old. For the older two, go get the paddle. That's how we'd have rolled. How does God respond? How does God respond? Verse 52. Then he led out his people like sheep. These people who had wandered, who had drifted, who were so far, who had so forgotten the goodness, sweetness, and grace of God. Then he led out his people like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. He led them in safety so that they were not afraid. What's the point? What's the point? Jesus is the good shepherd that in the middle of your life, when your life looks like Israel, wandering, prone to forget, given to sin, saying, I, I don't believe. In fact, God, if you loved me, why? Why? I mean, in that, in that dark, deep night when you're sitting alone in your room or you're sitting there with your spouse and you look in the mirror and you say, God, if you loved me, why? Jesus is the gentle shepherd who is there with you. When you disbelieve his goodness and grace and you lack trust. When you give yourself, to, listen, some of you in here, some of you in here, you're sitting here, you're listening to me, and you feel like, I can't wait to get out of here because I don't belong here. Because I know my college years, or I know Thursday nights. I, 
I know my Thursday night. And here's what he's saying, even in your sin, you're not worse than Israel. I didn't abandon Israel. I'm not abandoning you. There is no amount of Thursday nights that would make God say, done. Done. When you buy the religious lie that you earn your acceptance and in doing so insult the grace of God, He's still the gentle shepherd. When you treat God like the Santa in the sky with his yellow pad out going, good mark, bad mark. Good mark, bad mark. He's still the gentle shepherd who's there for you. This is what Jesus does. This is what the good shepherd does. And he's the shepherd in verse 14. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay my life down for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. But they will also listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Listen, if you, if you need to know what kind of shepherd Jesus is, there's two words you need to know out of this passage. Two little words. You ready? Just as, just as, just, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as, just as, just as. You see, when Jesus says, I would lay my life down for the sheep, at the core of it is a relationship. At the core of it is a relationship. And if we pull back and we scan the New Testament and you start seeing um, how the Bible talks about Jesus and the church, you, you see uh, language like family. You see language like bride. And listen, I'm, I'm not a violent man. Um, I don't think I'm a violent man. I've never been in jail for being a violent man. I don't know that I'm a violent man. But here's what I do know. If my wife were in danger, I could probably become one pretty fast. If my kids are in danger, I could probably become one pretty fast. Or maybe to use a more PC illustration for it, if my wife were in danger, it would take me a nanosecond to choose to die first. If my kids are in danger, it would take me a nanosecond and a half to choose to die first. At the core is a relationship that says, I am joyfully willing to lay my life down. That's at the core. So when Jesus draws on the Old Testament, draws on this good shepherd, he's, he's drawing on relationship. He's drawing on uh, that at the core, no matter how much you drift, or no matter how much you choose to sin, or no matter how many Thursday nights you have, or no matter, um, hey, listen, that abortion that nobody knows about, I know. And my grace is still available for you. I can still be that shepherd for you. Is it horrific? Absolutely. Is it unforgivable? Not a chance. When he draws on shepherd out of the Old Testament, there is a relationship at the core that knows no bounds. So here's what's happened so far. 
uh, we have a story, um, a story that Jesus told where Jesus then came and said, uh, out of that story, uh, I am the door, I am the shepherd. And here's the question, how do they connect? Right? How, how do they connect? How, do you, how are you a door and a shepherd at the same time? How do they connect? I think it's a fair question. Let's keep reading verse 17. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. What's he talking about? He's talking about the cross. He's talking about the cross where he would lay his life down for the sheep. And here's how they connect. The door opens when the shepherd dies. The door opens when the shepherd dies. This shepherd who is willing to throw himself to the wolves so that you could have his life. This shepherd who is willing to let his bios end so that his zoe could come alive in you. This is the shepherd that we have. This is the good life that's offered. And it's offered because the door opens when the shepherd dies. And it leaves two responses. You have two responses. And you get to choose. Response 1, verse 19. There was again division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? So these Jews, this is the religious response. The religious response is, hey, a shepherd who is um, the fulfillment of the Old Testament, who's willing to die for the sheep to become a, a door, I don't think so. This doesn't fit my paradigm. And so because it didn't fit my paradigm, one of two things has to be true. Demon or insane. Literally, completely out of his mind. Demon or insane. Got to be one of those two because it doesn't fit. C.S. Lewis, brilliant C.S. Lewis, uh, said this, said Jesus got three options. You've got liar, you've got lunatic, you've got Lord. Not really a fourth. Liar, lunatic, Lord. It might be, you know, led by a demon. That's why he's lying. Could just be a lunatic out of his mind. Could be these Lord, but those are your three options. And the religious men and women here are saying, no chance Lord is right. That doesn't fit my paradigm. It's got to be liar, lunatic. It's got to be one of these two. It's got to be one of these two. Which brings us to the second response. The saving response. Verse 21. Others said, These are not the words of one who's oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? You see, here's their point. Do, do demons heal blind people? No, demons don't heal blind people. You see, the saving response is actually found back in chapter 9. It's the blind guy. It's the blind guy who, when he was asked, hey, tell us about Jesus. Who is Jesus? Tell me about Jesus. Is he a sinner? Here's what he said. I don't really know. Here's what I do know. I was blind, and now I see. That's what I know. I know that I couldn't see, and now I can see. This is what I know. Is he a prophet? Yeah, probably a prophet. Is he... Son of man? Yeah, maybe son of man. Here's what I do know. Blind, and now I can see. That's the saving response. And so here's the question for you. Do you see? Do you see? You see, could it be, could it be 
that the religious response is simply that you've been blinded by your own self-denial that you've got this. That I've got my life in control. I can yank my life up by the bootstraps and I can make this happen. Could it be that your own religious effort has so blinded you that you can't see? And could it be, could it be that the saving response is simply to acknowledge I don't have this and I need a shepherd that is Jesus? Which is why which is why, Sojourn, listen to me. Which is why we plead 52 weeks a year, give your life to community. Step into a neighborhood parish, but don't just step in there and be visible. Give your life to one another. Because how does Jesus shepherd and care for the church today? Through the church. Through one another. This is why we plead every if you notice, it's in the announcements every single week, and it's in sermons at least 49 weeks a year. That's not mapped out. That's a guess. So we plead. Plead. Go experience the shepherding and care of Jesus through the church. But it doesn't happen because you're physically there. It happens when you give your life to one another. And you're willing to say, hey, step into my life and speak into my life. And you, you know what? Like, other people who are already there, they need you to show up and speak into their life as well. And so there's two stories on the table. There's two stories being held up today. One story is, I got this. I, I don't need God. The other story is, I don't. And I do. One story comes with the shepherding and care and protection of the good shepherd. The other story the other story comes with that feeling of never having done enough to live up to daddy's expectations. And here's the beauty. When your story goes from I've got this to I don't, from I don't need God to I do need God, your story gets rewritten. These are the two stories on the table today and you get to choose. Which one do you want? Let me pray. Father, I love you and I bless you and I thank you for this room of men and women. I thank you that we get to, get to gather together and we can listen to Jesus together. That we can analyze and think deeply about who he is and we can wrestle with hard questions from life and we can process the things that he says, the things that he leaves out. And I, I pray for the men and women in this room right now who have... Who have uh, given so much of their life to trying to earn God's favor, to trying to make God happy by how they live their life. I pray that they would know that you love them, that you're for them, and that you're, you're sitting next to them whispering, I love you because I love you because I love you. And I pray for some, I pray for some in this room today that you, you might give sight. That some might go from I don't see to I see. Let that be, let that be their story from today. In Christ's name. Amen.